Well, good morning, Community Church. Are we ready to worship today? Oh, man, I feel it this morning. Are we ready to worship today? Oh, this is going to be a good Sunday. I already can tell. We're going to stand to our feet because I'm going to read the scripture. We've heard this a few times in the last little while, but I want you to listen to this before we go back into worship here. Okay, so this comes out of Ephesians 4. I'm starting at verse 10. It says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now listen to this. From whom the whole body joins and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, when I read that last part, it's about the whole body doing its part. Every single one of us. So as we go back into worship, I know we have all come to church and we're in different places. Some of us barely made it in the doors today. Well, I'm going to tell you this. We're going to open the altars right now for whoever needs to come. Just come and raise your hands to God. Begin to confess him as Lord. And we're believing God is going to touch you today. But here's the reality. You're going to hear me say this a lot, church. We need to do this together, right? So again, it's time to start pulling on the strings of heaven together knowing that as we lift up our prayer, our incense to heaven, the blessings of God will not just fall on us, but will fall on our city and on our nation. Amen? So let's worship him. Father, we ask right now in Jesus' name that as we come back into worship, that your Holy Spirit would be upon us, that your Holy Spirit would move in each life. Right now, Father God, for those that need that touch, Father, right now, begin to encourage them, begin to speak to their hearts, begin to heal them, begin to deliver them. But Father, we come together as one body. There is no army that consists of one person. We are the army of God and we will come together to honor you, to worship you, to call you by name, to give you all of our praise. So this morning, let's lift our voices to our King. We're gonna sing this part over again. But I don't want to just sing the words. I want to prophesy to spiritual gates that they would swing wide. So when we come to that part, I want you to release your faith, and I want you to see actual doors of salvation, kingdom doors of provision, the door, the the opening to the resources of heaven on earth, it's going to open when we sing Swing Wide. Let's sing this with conviction and authority and confidence. I want to do this right now. Chris Lindbergh is here from Deadwood up north and his wonderful wife. And, and he ha- he's an evangelist with a unique healing anointing. He does crusades. I want him to pray that the gate of signs and wonders and healing would open here over this house. Could you do that? Lord, as we stand here today, Lord, as we stand in Spruce Grove and in the center of the province of Alberta, Lord, I pray that the healing power would swing wide upon our lives, swing wide upon the people, swing wide, Lord God, in this house, Lord God. Lord, I speak healing into people's lives today, Lord. Lord, joint pains be healed, Lord God, in the name of Jesus all over this place, Lord. Lord, I speak to cancers, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that they would let go of their hold on people's lives in Jesus' name, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord God, for a filling and a fresh touch of your spirit, Lord, to understand what it is to have your spirit empowered and the doors of your heaven's glory swinging out of our life and touching everything and everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
oftentimes there's a healing power that's present, but we don't realize we can access it. So if you have any kind of a pain in your body and you feel like nothing has changed, I want you to just start moving that. Just start moving that aspect of your body and start to step in and to feel and to start to step in and feel that healing power upon your life in Jesus' name. So just start to move and start to receive in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord God, bring freedom to our lives, Lord. Freedom to our lives, Lord. So, Father, today we want to say in the name of Jesus, God, we say let every single person in the sound of my voice begin to realize the depth of that deliverance. Father, in Jesus' name, we have tasted of some of what you have promised. But, Father, we pray that a new and fresh longing to step in to the full freedom, the full emancipation of the sons of God. Father, in Jesus' name, love has called my name. Can you say that out loud? Love has called my name. One more time. Love has called my name. Can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. Can we welcome Pastor Mark? Isn't it good to have him in the house? All right. Well, it is great to be back. Um, you know, there's, there's, certain, there's certain things that we do as a church. We have certain departments. We have certain services that we render. But we are not... Um, we are not the aggregate of those services. That's not what church is. That's not what church is. That's, that's, those are add-ons. The, what makes church church is, is that it operates in the things that cause the kingdom to open uh, in the spirit realm. It causes salvation to come in. It causes the healing. It causes us to, to become preoccupied with places and times that are not necessarily, necessarily relevant to us in this moment. And, uh, and that's a part of what, you know, the paying it forward. We need to be thinking about things beyond us. And the, 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 the template of the kingdom is if we do that, then all the things that we need will fall to us. And that's the way the kingdom works. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. And he was talking before that about natural provisions. You know, what do you need? He said, if you seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, that you create the conditions for your needs to be met right away. So there was a movie a few years ago called Pay It Forward where, where this guy wanted to change the world. And so he, he's this little kid. This is an idea to change the world. And we had this term. We use it. Well, you know, do you need $5 here? You can pay me back. You know, do you, oh, do you need the use of my, my lawnmower? That's okay. You could do this. You could pay me back. You can owe me. Pay it forward is the inverse. I expect nothing in return, but I want you to turn around and give it to the next person in need. This is... This is amazingly a principal tenet of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why the basis on which we are called to access provision for us is not to seek provision for us, but to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and through that, we will begin to unlock provision for us. So how, how, do, you, uh, how do you get your own selfish needs met? By being completely unselfish. <laughs> Two birds with one stone. God gets to kill that selfishness and meet our, our needs. And the first of which is the most important. So, so there's this, uh, you know, when, when we pray, you know, some, sometimes we think, well, you know, I, I don't feel connected to Turkey. I, I don't feel connected to Asia. I don't feel connected. Like, I, I feel connected to me. <laughs> yes, therein is the problem, right? So, so when you come to these moments, maybe when somebody's giving a testimony about Turkey or, or Mark's going to Peru or something, you know, like, well, you know, I'm more of a local guy. Excellent. Do your local ministry. But if your heart can't connect with anything beyond what's relevant to you, take that as a challenge from the Lord. 
don't say, well, you know, some of us are. Don't do that. Because, because the heart of the father, whose, whose sons and daughters you are, is that he gave his son for the whole world. He gave his son for the whole world. And so uh, he's, he's wanting to enlarge your heart. He's wanting to enlarge your heart by giving you a capacity to love beyond the immediate people that are relevant to meeting your needs. I mean, that's the challenge there. How far away is the reach of your love? And, uh, and so, anyway, that's not my message, but, but I want us to be, we are called to be a church that intercedes for the nations. And, uh, and you can do that uh, out of a prophetic anointing. You can do that out of an inces- in, in, in intercessory anointing. Or you can do that out of just love, your disposition. Your heart is bigger than just me and my needs. You know, it's almost cliche the, how, how, how narrow we've gotten in our culture in terms of our capacity to feel in our capacity to care, and, uh, and, and we are being reduced. Now, I, I don't, again, I don't really wanna talk about this but as a message, but you need to hear this, that, um, that uh, our, our ability to actually be, believe beyond the immediate is a reflection of our maturity. Father, give us hearts. Father, give us hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Give us hearts that release beyond the present dimension of where we are at, in Jesus' name. All right, I'm going to shift. Uh, I'm going to talk about the, I call it the preparation of volunteers. The volunteers. You know, uh, Psalm 110 Verses 1 to 3. You all know it well. You've probably heard it. Maybe you don't understand what it means. Maybe it's one of those enigmatic scriptures like, yeah, one day when I'm bigger, I'll understand. (laughs) Even though you're full grown. (laughs) Psalm 110, verses 1 to 3 says this. The Lord said to my Lord. Phenomenal thought. Here is David. He's seeking the Lord. He's in the temple. This is a Psalm of David. He says, the Lord said to my Lord. David heard the father speaking to the son. Conversations within the Godhead. I mean, if there was a secret council in heaven, David is accessing it. So, so amazing. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, that's a mouthful right there. You know, and again, we refer to that often, and maybe we refer to it in passing, and maybe you're not sure what I mean when I'm referring to that, and it's this, that he is the head and we are the body, and anything my head wants done in this world, my body has to do. Similarly, if he is the head and we are the body of Christ, anything the head needs done in the world, the body has to do. And so, and so we sang the song, you know, the battle is the Lord's. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we have no role? No, no, no. No, it means, it means we are the ones standing in the gap, and our faith is the leverage point. Our faith, our standing, our volunteerism is what is causing the resources of heaven to come to the earth. And so it's saying not, we're not involved. It's saying our strength is not necessary. Our resources, our intelligence, our, our, our brawn is not the main thing that's causing this to happen. We are simply unlocking eternal resources that have everything necessary to complete and fix this. And so, so, uh, so we are deeply, intrinsically involved in this because if Jesus is sat down, you know, his person is, is not you know, on earth engaging in, you know, moving us to do things. He has sat down till his enemies are made at his footstool. Then somebody else is doing that. And it wouldn't be, yes, it would be convenient if it were the angels. I heard somebody say, well, maybe the angels. Yeah, you wish. (laughs) They're involved, but they also are limited. Do you know what the angels do? They carry out the word of the Lord. They do the bidding of the word of the Lord. When the, Lord of the, when the word of the Lord commands, angels respond. Do you know where the, Lord, where the Lord comes from? 
Us, yes, exactly. When you prophesy, you're releasing the word of the Lord. When you're declaring eternal truths, when you're, when you're seeing something in the template of God's conquest of evil and something is released from you, you are, you're actually assigning angels to do something. The word of the Lord is in your mouth. That's why the victory is near you, even in your mouth. And so, anyway, see, there's a lot in the scripture, isn't there? That's not even what I wanted to talk about. I'm just on my way. So till I make your enemies your footstool, the Lord shall send the rod of his strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And then this great verse. Your people will be volunteers in the day of your power. And the beauty of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. So the... the the characteristic of this army and the people that will accomplish this thing for God is that they will be volunteers. Now, volunteers are notoriously undependable in this earth realm. It's like militia armies. You know, there's the regulars and there's a militia. In military conquests, they never depended upon the militia because the militia were volunteers. They, they didn't have the same skin in the game and the same obligation that, that the regulars did. And so they could up and run at any moment, and they did. And, that, and so they were never put in significant roles in the army. They're always sort of back up, you know, make it look like there's more of us. You militia guys, you just stand there. Because if, if we subject too much trouble, too much heat on you, we know you're going to run, so we're not going to do that. But what the Bible is talking about here is a whole other level of volunteers, not the one we're accustomed to seeing. This kind of volunteer, there's something that's going to cause a divine enlistment on earth to God's purposes with fullness of heart, and I am eager for that. I feel that moment coming. I feel the call. I feel like God is reaching in with a sickle into the earth to pull forth an army of volunteers. And here's the, here's the, here's the rub. If he can't find it in the church, he's going to get it in the world. If he can't find it in the pews of buildings like this one, then he's going to go to the streets and he's going to take these green behind the ears. Is that the way you say it? Wet behind the ears. <laughs> these, these green and wet behind the ears volunteers and he's going to enlist them and then people who have been around the church like, like uh, my theology is way better than that guys I, I'm a much better Christian than that one and I know the Bible better and I've been around more and uh, you know in the pecking order of our social church system I'm higher why is God anointing that one willing desire and so I feel like part of my call is to prepare the volunteers because I feel like what is that volunteer? What, what are the qualities that need to be in that volunteer? And by that, I'm, I'm thinking about what should be in your average disciple, what should be in your average Christian, the normal Christian life, as Watchman Nee wrote. What is the normal Christian life? Well, I don't think what we see across the board in the church is what God had in mind. I think he had in mind something more. And thus the language of scripture is a little more demanding. A little more demanding than most pastors will admit. Yesterday, I was doing this, we were over at the summit and I was doing a, what do you call, panel panel, prophetic panel for this conference. And I had a chance to begin to talk for a minute about, about the nature of pastoral ministry. I want to say it right here again because I said it yesterday and I thought, man, this needs to be said again and again and again. And I want to prophesy God is about to change the def definitions, the working definitions of what it means to be pastor. God is changing the working definition of what it means to be pastor because something has entered in that has created a mealy-moused, uh, need-driven, cowardly, complacent uh, leader that just is there to meet the needs of all the people, and that is not what pastoring is. 
Yes, pastoring does meet needs. Yes, pastors do comfort. They do aid. They do help. They do encourage. But encourage, by its very definition, means to fill with courage. Not to, not to embolden your cowardice. <laughs> right? To encourage, to fill with courage. And I believe the better definition of what a pastor should be is palliative care. Do you know what palliative care is? Some of you younger ones, you might not know because you don't have old, old parents old enough to ever have talked about that. Palliative care is the kind of care you get when death is inevitable. It's, it's not, we're trying to keep you alive 10 minutes longer. It's no, you're dying and there's nothing we can do about it. Because the true pastor understands this, that death is necessary before resurrection ever happens. And that the, the journey of this walk is always a series of deaths and resurrections. Death and resurrection. You come into new things because you've died to something else. That's the way it works. And when you mistakenly operate in a way that you're actually trying to keep people from dying, you're actually keep them, keeping them from being resurrected. You're keeping them from entering into dimensions of new spiritual life. That's not what pastors are for, to keep your flesh alive, to, to keep you from not being offended because you, you won't deal with your own selfishness and do everything, run around, and, you know, coddle everybody so nobody's upset about, you know, anything. Man, that'll drive you nuts. No wonder pastors are retiring in record numbers. That's impossible. Right? Just decide right now, I don't want that kind of pastor. I want a pastor that's just gonna come for me while I'm dying. Right? I wanna die quicker. I don't want this to take my whole life. I want, I want to walk in resurrection power. We're going from glory to glory. What does that mean, glory to glory? Is it one glory to lesser glory? Any chance of that? One glory to the same glory? We are going from glory to glory to glory to glory. Upward and onward is our call. And so anything that works, and this is a demonic strategy. The, the enemy uses religious systems to immobilize us in our journey onward and upward. And so he's happy to keep you in that, that neutral place between the worlds, you know, uh, lukewarm, where you can't really make it through to death. Oh, hallelujah. So God, give us true pastors in the body of Christ that are not gonna nurture us into preserving our flesh. So, what constitutes a volunteer of the caliber that we're thinking about? What is, what's the primary thing that there needs to be in us? And I'll tell you what it is. And you know, I know you could probably think of a bunch of, well, love, you know, faith, you know, uh, whatever, and, and true. There's a lot, of, a lot of things, but they all tie into one thing, and it's this, unconditional surrender. Volunteers in the day of his power are a people who are unconditional in their disposition to do what needs to be done. They, they have no caveats. They have no, there's, there's no, well, if you do this for me, I will do that for you. This is not that kind of contractual agreement. In fact, I might be getting ahead of myself. Let, let, me, let, me see, let me talk about this surrender for a second. It's full surrender. Mark chapter 10, verse 21 to 22. It's the story of the uh, rich young ruler. Rich young ruler. He's, he's a religious guy. He's a Christian guy, sort of, you know. He's a, I mean, not Christian, devout. That would be a better word. He's devout in as much as he knows he's doing the right things. And, and, uh, he, and he wants more. He wants more. And Jesus, he comes to Jesus, you know, and he intimates that he wants more. Jesus said, well, you know what, here's what you need to do. And he said, well, I've done all of those things. I'm not sure he did. You know, like the Pharisees, they thought they were fulfilling the law. It's like, really? Okay. But so Jesus says to him, he looked at him, and he, it says he loved him. This will preach. Chris, you should make a sermon out of this. 
Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, die. Come on. That's what he did. He loved him. And he said, all the things you want in your heart that will make you feel secure and fulfilled, let them go. All the things you need to make you feel important, to make you feel like you belong, to make you feel like you're critical to the infrastructure of the church, let it all go. That's the response of love. There's a response of love. I don't want you to be chained down. You, you don't even know all the ways that you're chained down. You don't even know all the ways you're limited. Love says, let me give you the path that will take you to the place of limitlessness. That's what love does. Not, well, you know, maybe you could volunteer in the soup kitchen. He says, give everything. One thing you lack Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come up and take the cross and follow me. Now, this is not a prescription for everybody, but it was a prescription for him. It was tailor-made for this guy because of what bound him. Now, right after that, of course, you've got to read the context. Right after that, Peter says, you know, what are we going to receive since we gave up everything? And Jesus said, actually, anything you give up in this world, you receive a hundredfold in this world and life eternal in the, in the world to come. So he wasn't saying, no, no, you're going to have to go and live in a cave. Like, you know, some of those monks that are not yet around. Vows of poverty, vows of silence. You're going to have to go and suffer for me. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, listen, you, you are tied down to this world, and I want to untie you because you have this much in this world, but there's this much available. And if you could just unlock yourself from this, you could enter into this. That's what he wanted for him. But he saw the way that he was bound. He said, for you, this is what you need. Zacchaeus offered, ha you know, to recompense those that he, he had uh, he had be. be be defrauded he didn't ask him for this there was a lot of others so this is not a prescription for everybody don't do that that's a religious thought God Taylor makes your death to you <laughs> hallelujah thank you Lord but you know it's hard to submit to death it's hard to lay things down how many of you know that some of you have been struggling with the same thing for years. Like you just won't let it go. Resentment, just uh, stubborn pride. And it, it's keeping us from resurrection. And Jesus knows this, but he says this is his, his thing. They looked through the corridor of time prophetically and they said there's a day gonna come when a, a, an army will rise on the earth who give themselves to the kingdom of God expecting nothing in return and they will get everything in return. Now, so here's where it starts. We come to church, we get saved, or maybe we're not even saved, we just start coming to church, we start singing these songs. And I want you to think about some of the songs you've sung over the years. I surrender all. <laughs> I, remember, I can't tell you how many times I'm in the middle of singing songs like that. You know, you're all I want. Take it all. I lay down my life. I will follow. I, there's these moments when I'm in the middle of singing that and kind of the voice of the Lord comes down. It's like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? Can you sing that with full sincerity? because we don't know the backlog of, of caveats that are in our metaphorical contract with God. Lord, I'll do this for you, but I, I got saved and the evangelist said when I got saved, if I do this, then you're gonna do this, and you're gonna do this, and you're gonna do this, and you're gonna do this. Actually, that's not what the way it works. God has all kinds of promises, but to realize those promises, you have to let go of all the promises. In other words, there's a way to hold them in faith and a way to hold them in selfishness. You can actually interpret the promises that God intends to bring you to realize the life of your ambitions and your pride. And God is not going to honor that system.
So it's gotten strangely quiet in here. So, so God hears us saying these things. I will follow, I will lay down my life. All to you I will surrender. And God says, wow, great. Um, I'm looking for a few good people. And so we get enlisted. And then the training begins. Well, here's the thing. You know, the, those evangelists or whatever things were told to you before you got saved when you came in, they're not necessarily not true, right? But they're kind of like those military commercials that, you know, they, they have all these grandiose, dramatic, you know, romantic ideas of courage and manliness. And you think, ha, I want to do that. I want to fly the jets. I want to drive big vehicles. <laughs> Shoot guns. <laughs> and instead, you join the army and you end up cleaning latrines. <laughs> it's like, join the army, see the world. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Because the training qualifies you for those things. And this is what I want to say. The training that God has for us, and to the degree that we embrace it, the degree that we die, we begin to participate in the kingdom of heaven and the resources that are ours. Those promises become ours increasingly. But the first requirement is that we surrender fully. But what we usually do is, is we submit a contract with God in our minds and hearts that has fine print. And all the fine print is all the things, well, my understanding of this negotiation is that if you do this, you know, then I do this. This is what I get in return. And God is saying, I need to deal now with all of your fine print. It can take a whole lifetime dealing with some people's fine print. Well, I have to be honored. I have to have a house like this. I need a marriage. I need, uh, I need, I need uh, the children this many. I want them to be this kind of successful. I need a special place, you know, in the kingdom. Do you remember that guy in the Matrix that was wanting to go back into the Matrix? And he said, yeah, I, I want to be famous. I want to, you know, be rich. Somebody important. And, you know, that's how we enter the kingdom. It's like, you know, woohoo, because, you know, seems to be what God suggested. I'm going to be the head, not the tail. So you guys are all the tail while I be the head. <laughs> Glory to God. So secretly, we add stipulations to the fine contract of our contractual agreements. We place obligations on God, a series of provisions which otherwise make our service unnecessary. Like, if this doesn't happen, I'm out of here. So God has to rewrite the contract. And what he really wants, he wants us to send him a blank paper with our signature on it. That's what true surrender is. How do you get that true surrender? How do, you, how do you get people to cross over that threshold? I want you to think about this for a second. How do you get to the place where I'm willing to lay down all of my demands? What demands do I have? What things do I, I come to church with demands. I come to marriage with demands. I come, I come to work with demands. I come to every scenario we have in life. We configure demands and we decide whether we're going to stay based on whether that those demands are being met. And we assume we can do that with the kingdom. And God is saying, yeah, no. I have more in store for you then you can possibly know, oh, what things? Can't tell you. Why can't you tell me? Well, the secret of the Lord is, is with those who fear him. And as you fear me, I will unlock those. Oh, what does fear God mean? Galen came up with this great thing. The Lord spoke to her one day, and I love this definition. How, because we sometimes we think, well, you know, I thought God is love. What's this about fear? Fear is torment. God is love. But, but, the fear of the Lord in this sense is the disposition you have to serve uh, either God or men. The fear of God is, is pitted against the fear of men. And what the fear of men is, is the need to please men. And so the fear of God is the need to please God. And it's because you know who he is. 
you know what he can do. You know that you can't cross him. You can't escape him. He, he, there's nothing you can do to retreat from his reach, but then you also know that he is good. And if you really truly know that, surrender is not a problem. If you really know that God has your best intentions in mind, then you can surrender. I remember, uh, I remember hitting my head on a garbage can, falling off a step when I was about five years old, and and it, you had blood squirting everywhere. And they took me to the hospital. My dad met me there, and I just remember how excruciatingly painful. I, you know, today I'm thinking like, didn't they didn't they have freezing? Like, what, what's why did that hurt so much? I mean, I screamed, and uh, I, but I knew. Implicitly, I knew that something good was happening, but the pain made me want to recoil. But the only thing holding me there, besides my strong father, <laughs> was there was a basic commitment. I didn't ever, I didn't doubt I, I, I could stay in this place. And from that time forward, you know, as my whole life, I stayed under the authority of my dad, even though I was angry, and sometimes I didn't like my dad because he wasn't always a good guy. But, but I did it because I knew he loved me, even if he was defective. I was able to stay under his authority. So God is doing something He's trying to get us to a place where we can be a part of this army. So how far along are we? How close are we? What kinds of frustrations come up in my life? What, how close to the line do we get where we, where we want to withdraw from relationships and people and other Christians because, you know, they're not what we need them to be or want them to be. And even Christians, we withdraw from marriages because, you know, you're not doing it for me anymore. <laughs> the newlyweds on the front row giggling. I don't know if it's a giggling, I'm not there. I'm so glad I'm not there. What's that like? Or, yeah, we're already there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Covenant is a great thing. God is looking to pull us into a covenant with him without any stipulations, without any reservations, without any, any lines or thresholds that can be crossed where we say, if, if, if this happens, if, if, if this happens one more time, I'm leaving this church. If this happens one more time, pulling back my money. If this happens one more time, and God, what God is trying to do is like, all of those things that you raise up, all of those needs that you put over top in importance than loving your brothers and walking in peace with everybody else is idolatry in your life. That's the reality of it. It's idolatry. The idolatry of you. And God is saying, I, would, I want to bring you into more authority. I want to bring you into more life. I want to bring you into more power. But you just get too much idolatry in your life. You love you way more than you love me. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is really good news. Anyway, let me, I'm, I'm taking a long time to get through just a few points, but let me try and get to where I was because I, I, I was thinking about this all week long. And uh, actually for a couple of weeks. So, so I, was, I was thinking of some of the biblical examples because we're told, we're told, look at, look at these are in the, the champions of faith, the champions of faith, right? The, the ones who shut the mouths of lions. It's Hebrews 11, you see that. And there's the ones that, you know, really had great victories, but then equally there was, there was the champions of faith that didn't receive any promises at all. Now, the context of their promises might be different than the context of our promises, but the idea is the same, that service to God is not rendered based on guarantees. And if it is, you're not serving God. 
That's the problem. So, so I don't want us to be in this no man's land suffering, put, thinking well, I'm putting up with all these things I don't understand and I'm doing this for you and you're, you're not even, you're just trying to erase your contractual text. And God's like, man, I want to get you into the good stuff. Just get through this negotiations. Your lawyer, which is your flesh speaking on your behalf, is not to be trusted. <laughs> your lawyer does not have your interests at heart. I have your interests at heart. If you could only believe that, you would quickly erase everything. Okay, that's it, God. I'm not going to murmur anymore. I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm not going to complain about my wife, my finances, my job, my church, my pastor, my apostle. No more complaining. Oh, I wonder, what if I put that out as a charge today? Could you do that? I'm going to be grateful all day, not be dissatisfied even a little. Unless you didn't take out the garbage. In that case, there's going to be deep resentment. <laughs> because that's unforgivable. <laughs> I was thinking about Joseph. I was thinking about how God pulled him into covenant with promises and how his life took a very different direction, a solid turn downward. And he is, I mean, he's, he's got these dreams, he's got favor with his father, he's, he's treated in an unconventional way, and, and, and God says, God's saying to him, hey, I want to use you for greater things, you know, even greater than your brothers, even greater than your mom and dad. He's like, all right, I'm in. Whoa. Yeah, there's a little preparation involved, but we'll talk. we won't talk about that. <laughs> See, that's the reality. So the, he's here at this place in his life. God says, here's the promise. This is what I want to do with you. And you're like, all right. And then once the training begins, that when, that's when we begin to balk because that's when we realize we have invisible conditions written on our contract. And, but the promise hasn't changed. What he's trying to take you into, which begins with eternity and works backward, okay, that, those things haven't changed. The question is, can you get through the training in time to realize the promise? Man, if, if you join the army and that first six week or eight weeks basic training took you 40 years to get through, A, they would have cut you, you know, cut you off. But in the kingdom of heaven, we're not cut off. We could stay in basic training for 40 years. Israel stayed in basic training for 40 years. God said, we're going to the promised land. They said, Woo! He said, but you got to do what, exactly what I say. Oh, yeah. Except not that, not that, not that, not that, not that. So where do we go? 40 years. Can't happen? Oh, happens every day. We're at, so right today, so I, this is what we want to do. God, give me a heart to embrace the training. Give me a heart to realize this is not people in my life. This is not the circumstances of my life. This is the potter and the clay. And the potter knows what he's producing and he knows how to bring me into alignment. I want to stop balking at your hand, oh God. I want to stop balking at your hand. How terrible it would be to have an amazing destiny when we stand before the Lord and realize we refuse the training to enter that destiny. That's why you want to, you want to deal with that right now. Oh, but here's the thing. You don't even know how to do that. You don't even know how to do that. You gotta, that's why weeping, lamenting, mourning is needed because I don't know how to align my heart with yours. I just keep finding myself kicking for my own things, God. Unable to resign myself to your plan. I want this to be done. How badly do you want it to be done? How badly do you want it to be done? Well, this morning, you know, there's gonna be an opportunity maybe to respond in your heart but it's tomorrow that you carry it out. 
It's Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday when you really demonstrate the level of your, your covenant. I was thinking about Daniel. I mean, we could say a lot more about Joseph, right? He was deprived of the love of a father. He was abused by his brothers, hated. Then he was sold into slavery. He was accused, he was forgotten. And then he started to come into prominence and what happens, he's betrayed again and thrown back into prison. And he rises to prominence in the prison and he gets promises and guarantees from different people that they won't forget him and they forget him. And all along the way there's, he's wondering what is this about? How are you doing? Are you staying in your lane? Are you staying on the table? Are you allowing him to work out what he wants to do with you? Do you trust him enough? Do you believe his love? Or is the love of God that funny, fuzzy feeling you get when we sing songs that are, that are harmonically beautiful and melodically great and they have the word love in them? Oh, I could feel the love of God in this place. (laughs) Can you feel it when he's putting the stitches in your head? (laughs) Think think of Daniel. Oh, what a great man Daniel was. Wow, what a what a great apostolic leader. Changed the world. Do you know what do you know that Daniel was very likely castrated at about thirteen years old? Do you know he was put under the charge of the chief of the eunuchs? Do you know what the eunuchs are in these kingdoms? They're young boys that are brought into service. Their whole life is servitude to serve the empire. And they're castrated to make sure that they have no diversions sexually in terms of affections and desires. Eh, It's a little unfair. No chance to ever have a normal life. No chance to ever love or marry a woman. No chance to ever have children. No chance to realize some of the normal affairs of manhood. I don't see any evidence of resentment. I, I don't see any evidence of God, but, but other people get to live this life. Other people, other people, this and that, and look what I'm missing out on. How much time do we spend thinking about what we're missing out on? Daniel didn't. Joseph made his way through his his stuff. All the great saints and every single man and woman and child who has been invited to be a part of the volunteer army has an opportunity to lay down idolatry, to lay down, to erase the text Maybe the invisible text that's in that contract, but it comes up every week. And the people around us see it. They know what we're holding on to. Just listen to your wife, your husband, the people around you. He's offering us unparalleled glory, unparalleled opportunity. I don't want to squander it. So Father, let's stand up together. Father, we pray today, God, that the call to pick up our cross, the call to lay down every expectation, every, to, to challenge every frustration in our heart, to challenge every impulse to criticize and murmur about people around us. Father, may we take these things to the cross aggressively and without delay. Give us the ability to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to read a scripture we're all familiar with before we close here. Psalms 23, verses 1 to 6. Most of you know this. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou, prefer, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest, anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
And I read something. Someone just shared a little bit of their thoughts on this, and it says this. It says, the valley of the shadow of death is a place of scarcity, danger, pain, and the unknown. This is the uncharted charity for the sheep, but not for the shepherd. We can be encouraged knowing that God uses the valley to strengthen our faith and draw us closer to him. You know, I love that because I know the scripture says in Revelation that the pillars in heaven are the ones who overcome. Right? It's part of our journey of becoming stronger in our faith. And as a pastor, let me tell you something. The Lord said to me years ago that I'm actually to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the people, not stop them from going through it. Because in that valley is where we truly learn to rely on the king. In those moments, that's when we see where our faith really is. And we know the Bible promises this, that anything the enemy meant for evil, he will turn to good, because that's who he is. We're not looking for an earthly reward. We're looking for an eternal reward with him. Something that is going to prepare us for heaven for all time and eternity with our King, amen? amen? Father, guide us, teach us. We will not resent going through the valley of the shadow of death. We will not resent it for you because we know as we get through this that you're preparing us, training us, equipping us for something far greater than anything we could know. So Father, today we covenant with you to say we will walk with you wherever you take us. And Father, we will do this with joy. Joy in our hearts, knowing that you are our shepherd. Can we say amen to that? Amen. My prayer for you today, that as you go, is that as you go home, you will commit to the Lord, right? Commit to him. No matter what it is, Lord, I am committed to you. I will walk with you. I will lay down those things that I know I need to lay down. I think we all need to do this, and I love that he said it's not about right now. It's about when you leave, because when you leave, all those things will come back at you. All the distractions, all the things that we're tempted to give our life over to, that's the moment where we actually put our foot down and we say, no, I'm gonna give it to him.